0: We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the word of God. I feel like the high priest standing in the holy place. I feel like we're at the dedication of Solomon's temple where you stand in his presence and are silent because he's speaking in a voice that is so deep and profound. There's a term that the Hebrews use called the Trishagion. You can be seated if you would. The Trishagion is where the seraphim, cherubim about the throne of God, Stand crying, Holy, Holy, Holy. It's what's transcendently holy. In the tabernacle, there was the holy place, and then there was the Holy of Holies. But in heaven, about the throne, it is holy, 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 transcendent. And his presence is transcendent here this morning. Uh, I feel like God is plowing deep. I uh, was pheasant hunting in Kansas several years ago, and the farmer on whose property we were hunting was planted in Milo, which is corn raised for livestock, but he also had thousands of acres that he planted in wheat. And talking to him, he said that every so many years, they, they don't plant, they let the ground lay, lay fallow. And he said, in those years, we let the plow pan, the plow, he said, when you plow wheat, you plow it at a certain depth, you plant it at a certain depth, he said over a period of a few years, he developed what's called a plow pan where the soil becomes rock hard and water and nutrients won't saturate through it. He said so in years that we let our fields lay fallow, he said in those years when we plow the field, we lay our plow six inches to nine inches to a foot deeper to break up that plow pan. I feel like that's what God is doing in this service today is letting the plow pan down to break up some of the hard crust underneath our spiritual service, surface, amen. Uh, Just in the interest of time, let me go to the word, Matthew 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. Who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise he that received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money after a long time the lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them and he said unto him that had received five talents came and brought other five talents saying lord thou deliverest unto me five talents behold i have gained five beside them five talents more his lord said unto him well done thou good and faithful servant thou hast been faithful over a few things i will make thee ruler over many things enter thou into the joy of the lord and he Also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliver me too. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I had not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to put my money to the exchangers, then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Therefore take the talent from him and give it unto him that hath ten. For everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance, but he that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I know you think you know where I'm going, but you have no idea. Isaiah 32 and 2, this was a passage that I used at Mike's funeral. And a man shall be a hiding place from the wind, a covert from the tempest, and rivers of water in a dry place and a shadow of a rock in a weary land. We all pity the poor vagabond, the man who just had one talent. The man with five and two came within their orderly reports, and they deserve the well done that greets them. We look on with calm approval as they pass into the joys of the Lord. We know they have earned those accolades of being faithful. But when the man comes up with his one talent, folded up in his well-worn napkin we hear his slipshod cowardly attempt at an excuse to excuse his lackadaisical attitude toward the talent that he was given we watched as he's dragged off into outer darkness and his speech probably went something like this i only had one talent what could i do How could I affront a great big world in front of me with all of its dangers and responsibility? I would have accomplished so little even if I had succeeded. You know, what does it matter if ordinary minds and hearts like mine are idle? It speaks of people who are crushed and enfeebled by their own imagined insignificance and inabilities but the measurement of a single life is difficult, but profound. The appraisal of human value is a difficult task. I want to talk to you today about the power of one. The power of one. Zechariah, the second chapter, Zechariah is returning with exiles. They are despondent and spiritless because they've left a land of splendor and wealth. And the Jewish population had done quite well in both Babylon and Persia. Jerusalem lay in ashes and heaps of debris and destruction. It had been totally destroyed. But there was one man with a vision. The Bible says while the city slept, He stole into the valley to pray. And he saw a man with a measuring line. He noted that he was young. Had he been older and more experienced, had he had some gray or silver hair, he might not have been carrying a measuring line. Because with wisdom and time, you cease to try to quantify and measure things you understand that the measure of a life has to be left to God. There are people who have tried to fathom God's plan, but even Old Testament prophets didn't understand things that they prophesied and wrote about because there are capacities beyond human measurement and human comprehension in every life and soul. That sits here today. Inexperience measures everything and everyone. And in 30 minutes they can pigeonhole the universe. Exact measures are always immature. Not necessarily young, but immature. As the years pass, you begin to realize that the gray gulf exists between God's wisdom in man's wisdom. You understand that there is an insight that God has that we just don't possess as humans. As a young man passed through the valley, the prophet inquired with engaging franken- frankness, what are you doing? He said, I'm measuring Jerusalem. Now I want you to think about that a minute. He's measuring the city of God. He's going to try to quantify in feet and inches and in furlongs and yards all that is gathered up in the city of Jerusalem. You see, there are some things in life that have so much depth and so much value that they cannot be measured. To tell me in feet and inches... The, the circumference of Jerusalem. You tell me it's population. You tell me nothing. Because it's value is not in it's space. It's value is in it's spirit. David said, O Jerusalem, if I forget thee, let my right hand lose its cunning and let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. The memories... That are encapsulated in God's defense and of God's residence in the city of Jerusalem. The heritage that belongs to it. It's God's city. When you think of the unimaginable gallons of tears that have been wept over that city. The prayers that have been prayed in it. David's purchase of it. Because when Aronan offered him his threshing floor, he would not take it as a gift because he said, how can I offer my God anything that has cost me nothing? When you think about the prayer of Hezekiah when Sennacherib was standing outside the gate, when you think about Calvary that is erected just outside its walls, when you comprehend all that is gathered up In Jerusalem, the measurement is paltry. No wonder Zachariah stopped this young man because trying to measure anything that has God in it is a foolish endeavor, is a foolish endeavor. The measuring line is always worthless. You don't measure a home by the square foot. I know the realtors do, but you can't measure a home by the square foot. You measure it by its heart, by its love, by the cohesion of family that live on the inside of it. You don't measure an altar by its lineal inches. When you look at Abraham as he walked up Moriah with Isaac, and he assembled those 12 stones, an altar is not understood by how many stones are in it or the Bible by how many volumes, but by its inspiration, by the lives it is blessed. You can't measure a church by its attendance, but by God's residence. Is it a house on the rock? Is it a shelter in a storm? Is it where people can gather and find hope and direction and hear the word of God? The world takes pride in its measurements. It's like trying to measure your mother or your wife by their height and their weight. And Hollywood has this standard of the perfect woman She's so much this, she measures so much here, and she measures so much there. You measure a woman by her love. You measure her by her, by her understanding. You measure her by her tireless devotion. I wonder if Moses would have measured Jehoiakabud by Hollywood standard. I don't think so. I don't think Joseph measured Jacob by his circumference of his biceps or how big his pecs were and how narrow his waist are. I think he measured him when Jacob took his hand on the deathbed. And here, I want you to touch where the angel touched. I want you to touch the place where God touched me and transformed my life. Men and women are expressed in measurement is stupid. Before you ever say, I do, you need to find about the depth of their love, about the breadth of their purity, about the height of their character, and about the length of their loyalty. She may be pretty, but she's not pure in heart. He may be a hunk, but be a pygmy in his soul and a vacuum in his heart. We describe the Bible as 66 books 1,189 chapters, 31,173 verses, 772,692 words, 3,566,489 letters. I've told you all there is to know about the Word of God, haven't I? No, God's Word is seed. It's seed. You don't reckon seed by its size. You reckon it by the glory of its harvest. Amen. The Bible is not a, it's not a literary text. It's not a scientific text. You measure the word of God by the lives it's blessed. You measure it by the tears that it's dried, by the broken hearts that it's mended. We have a passion for statistics. We can all boil it down to cold numbers. One of the things that I've never seen in a district magazine, they used to publish the attendance on Easter Sunday, They measured and published all the giving for certain fundraising projects throughout the year. But I never saw in a district newspaper a column for comfort. I never saw them try to quantify encouragement. I never seen them, some things are just too tender, they're too valuable to tabulate. The value of one's soul. We talk about children born. They weigh so many pounds, so many ounces. They're so many inches long. God help us. God help us. Measuring a church by its size, there's no greater privilege than to be counted among her, to know her church. Here comes the bride. Here comes the bride. Leave your measuring line at home when you enter at any time in the realm of God. He's bigger and more glorious than anything that we can know or value or quantify. We feel the greatest impact on this world are made by men of Herculean powers, the Shamgars, the Samsons, the Goliaths. We suppose that God can only use the multi-talented darlings. I'm going to turn this parable on its head and I'm going to talk to you about the magnificent power of just one. If you gaze into the next millennium, I don't think you're going to find the best deeds done there by the highly gifted few, but it's by the contributions of the one talented many. The church is full of ordinary people clothed with dignity. I love what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, God must have loved common folk because he made so many of us. I spent a time in my years in the inner intelligence community. During the Vietnam War, uh, I was stationed at our headquarters and one of my responsibilities was issuing a daily intelligence report. And that and daily intelsome we would talk about how many battles have been fought, all the ordnance that had been expended, the sorties that have been flown, how much manpower had been invested against this conflict and against this one and against that one. There'd be a tally of casualties, those wounded in action, Those dead. Not very many days did you have a casualty report with just one killed. But it was celebrated among the intelligence community that only one man died. But that one man was super important to some widow or some parent. One man wouldn't come home, so in some wife, no sun would ever rise in her sky again. She lost the song in her soul. There'd be no returning footsteps at her door when the troops come home. When you think about the lesser thing than one man, it only takes one weak link to break a chain. It only takes one... shingle to destroy a roof in a rainstorm. It only takes one flat tire to rule an automobile. What if you just took one letter out of the alphabet? Do you think how many words would be lost in the vocabulary? What if I just took one note off the key of this keyboard? One string from the guitar. There's depths of music. That would be lost if that one sound was lost to the keyboard. Do you know it was by one vote that Aaron Burr missed being president of the United States? Just one vote. Only by one vote did Texas was brought into the union and start a war with Mexico. One vote keeps us off from speaking all Spanish today. There's only one boy who discovered America. It's only one boy that went to meet Goliath. It was only one lamb that was spotless enough to go to Calvary. The power of one. We read of the significant contributions of the apostles in the word of God. I've never heard a, sand, a sermon about Andrew. Andrew was one of the first disciples that Jesus ever called. And all we find in record of the New Testament that he ever did is he only won one convert. One convert. But that one convert was his brother Simon Peter. There's no record of any miracles he performed. We have no evidence of sermons he ever preached. There's no epistle left by his hand. He was not in the inner circle. You see, we have no place for the ordinary in our lives anymore, and that's sad. If we were creators, all our trees would be redwoods. All of our birds would be macaws. And all our flowers would be orchids. We would have no room for lesser gifted things in our lives. The history of every brave man who has ever lived and exi- existed, almost folded up his one talented in a napkin. But the call was too strong and the need was too great. So he unfolded his napkin and took it, took it out. You know, in the book of Judges, there is a story. The tribe of Benjamin was almost wiped out because some Levite journeyed into the land that was populated by the Benjamites. He stayed in this home, and some men came and wanted them to put the Levite out so they could do with him what the men of Sodom and Gomorrah wanted to do with the angels. It was perverted. So the Levite thrust his concubine out, And they assaulted her throughout the night. The Bible said she died on the doorstep, clutching the threshold. So he severed up her bodies and sent one part to every tribe with the story of what the tribe of Benjamin had done. So Israel assembled an army and came down on Benjamin and slaughtered them, being women and children. Just 500 men escaped. When they realize what they've done, you know, that's just one tribe. There's 11 more. Revelation talks about the two lost tribes of Israel. What does it matter if one tribe is lost? Well, There'd have been no Apostle Paul. There'd be no books of the New Testament. So many of the epistles that give us insight and direction today would have been lost. Noah with his hammer and nails and saws and blueprints. In all of the world population, only one man, not even his kids, not even his wife, one man was found faithful. What if that one man hadn't existed? What if God hadn't had that one man to commit the plans to that ark with? His life was an unmuddied puddle in an ocean of iniquity. I want you to think about Miriam. She She sailed a whole navy of deliverance that day, a whole flotilla, a whole armada of spiritual strength when she's put in that among the Nile, among the bulrushes, that one little basket. But he almost fumbled his napkin and stuttered. It was just one boy who lifted his rod, and a nation was born in a night because of one. One who is really worthy of being a man is rare. There's a great number of men who fall under the generic term of man, but they possess very little about manhood. When God gives any people a man, not a male, but a man, it's a great gift. History affords ample evidence of the blessing of one man brought by the people by one man. The Syrians had invaded the land. Israel was powerless. Their homes could be destroyed. The people would be slain and led into captivity. One man, no great army, but one man knew how to pray. He took Reb letter. He went and laid it on the altar of God and said, God, you see what this says? You see what, how he Defiles your name. You see that? God sent one angel through the host of Rebshekah, and hundred and eighty-five thousand died that night. Assyrian king, Isaiah, told Hezekiah, He'll not enter the city. He'll go back the way he came in the shadow of a praying man. Wicker men grow old. Hezekiah was a hiding place in the wind. He was a covert in a time of stress and storm. He was like rivers of water and a shadow of a rock and a great land. There's still the gospel of the individual. Jesus told the parable of the one sheep of the one lost coin. I'm reminded of the vision that Peter had he saw this great sheet knit at the four corners which spoke of the four corners of the earth. I think Peter got on the telephone called Luke. He said, I've seen a vision and it's of a great sheet. Masses, thousands, millions are going to come to the kingdom of God. But when the knock came on Simon's door in Joppa, it wasn't millions, it was just one man, a Gentile by the name of Cornelius, knocked at that door. And because of that one man, whose prayer and alms came up as a memorial before God, you and I, mostly probably all Gentiles, have access to the kingdom of God. We are one person away to opening the door to millions to finding the kingdom of God. Philip left revival in in Samaria where the whole city turned as one heart toward God. I don't know if God sent me to Dallas or Fort Worth or Arlington, and I preached a revival, and everybody got saved. And then He wanted me to migrate out to Arizona somewhere to preach to one man. I don't know. He went in the wilderness and encountered one Ethiopian eunuch. And I wonder how much the revival in Africa today is owed to that one eunuch. Paul saw a vision of Macedonia. He went to Asia and shook the continent. But he started his church in Asia with one woman by the name of Lydia. And established seven churches, one of them Ephesus, out of which all other six churches derived. I don't want to belabor the point that I've already belabored. Is there someone here or someone who will hear this message that will be inspired to just take out your napkin with its well-worn quarters? A world is waiting, not for an army, but for one man who will answer the call. I met Hartzell Wilson in Prescott, Arizona. I was a young, very, very green pastor. He was giving a speech at Prescott College to the business leaders of our city and community. And uh, it was on Dimensional Cybernetics. He stopped about two hours in his lecture that was going to go about six hours that day. And he said, I always look for one person in an audience. And he said, uh, he said they draw things out of me. They inspire me to speak. They, 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 they enhance what I'm trying to do. And he walked down to where I was sitting and he said, this young man is the most powerful person in this room. Hartzell had been vice president of Chrysler Corporation. He had been on every economic council since Hubert Hoover. His company, vice president of Chrysler, was then supporting the NFL. I can tell you that I was just an average guy until that day. Until somebody spotted and let me understand that within me, I had something. I'm preaching to somebody here today that's just one person that can make a dynamic input in the kingdom of God, that you can make a dynamic input in this in this church and in the kingdom of God, that if you'll just take out the talent that you use and utilize and venture it in the kingdom of God, It is amazing. It's almost too, too good to be true to embellish what you can matter and mean to the kingdom of God. If you can just take out your napkin, God is dealing with you. God has been dealing with you a long time. God has been talking to you. He has woke you up in the night hours. God has burdened you with the spiritual atmosphere of this church. He has talked to you about what it can be. It's time you took out your napkin because there's immense power in just one. Anytime God has wanted to change a situation or impress upon a people, He has just brought one person. One person, that's all he needed. And if my entire ministry is encapsulated in inspiring and finding that one person, my ministry will be well spent. If you're here today and you know that God has been talking to you about spiritual things and about things that are different deep in your spirit that you know that you hunger to see manifested in this body. Would you get up from where you are and would you come and give and unfold your napkin and give him your power, your life, your heart? Hallelujah. Hallelujah if you know he's been talking to you, if you know you can make a difference, if you know, if you know, hallelujah, you know it, you know you're that one. You know, you know, you know if you can just venture it out, if you can just consecrate it to God, if you can just give it to God, the awesome, powerful difference that it will make in this world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah hallelujah thank you Jesus thank you Jesus God anoint us here today let your spirit God hallelujah that you have been dealing with the hearts of so many of the people of this church that you have been speaking into their heart and into their spirit God it lets me know it lets me know that there's a great work to be done among us. A great work to be done because of this. God, I pray right now that the spirit of Elisha will come upon them. God, a double portion of your power and of your spirit will anoint their lives. God, that they will from this day forward from this day forward come from behind their sense of feebleness their sense of humility God and realize that the gift is not of them but it is of you that all you need is them as a vessel to work through God but it's not by might that it's not by power but it's by your spirit saith the Lord hallelujah that your spirit working in them and through them hallelujah can transform can transform thousands hallelujah god let that happen in their heart right now. In the name of Jesus, anoint them with the power of one. Anoint them right now with the power of one. Hallelujah. Let them take out that napkin right now. God, take out that talent. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And just venture to the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I feel a liberty here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel that God is granting people liberty, liberty to blossom, liberty to be who God's called you to be. Hallelujah. A light should be hidden under a bushel, but it should be like a city set on a hill. Let your light therefore so shine that men may see your good works and glorify God which is in heaven hallelujah 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 you're going to make a difference in every service you're in you're going to make a difference every time you gather here hallelujah hallelujah the power of one the power of one thank you Jesus Thank you, Jesus, for the work you're doing here in this altar right now. I thank you, God. I thank you, God, for the work that you're doing, the work that you're doing right now. Thank you, Jesus. Just let them blossom. Just let it unfold. Just let it unfold. Hallelujah. Just let it unfold. Just let it unfold. Praise God. Just let the gifts manifest themselves. Praise God, just let the gifts manifest themselves. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're not too old. You're not too old. Moses found his gifts and calling at the age of 80. You're not too old. Your time isn't past. Your best days are ahead of you. The best days are in your future. The best days are in your tomorrows, not in your past, not in your yesterdays. The best things, the greatest things you're going to do for God, you're going to do in your tomorrows. You're going to do in your tomorrows. The future lies before you. Seize it. Seize it. Seize it. Hallelujah. If ever Carpe Diem was... Significant to a people is significant today Seize the day Seize the day Seize the opportunity Accept the anointing Accept the calling Accept it Step in it Live in it Act in it Hallelujah Hallelujah Be the man or woman of God That God has purposed you to be In Jesus name In Jesus name